Welcome to the Gig Stories podcast. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back because this is our Easter Monday special. Yesterday, we gave you the Easter Bunny himself, uh, Rick Witter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll love that, the Easter Bunny. So we hope you enjoyed that one. And you don't want any more chat from Chris and I because, no. let's be honest, we've got lots of chocolate to get through. So grab your drink, grab your chocolate eggs. Have you got yours, Chris? I've got my chocolate eggs. I've got, um, yeah, I've, I'm surrounded by chocolate. Of course he is. And was that from the Easter Rick? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, yeah. No, actually, I've been stockpiling since they started selling them in supermarkets, which was like mid-January. January the 1st. Yeah, exactly. So we've got an episode here, right mm, here, and it is with the lovely Mr. Dennis Lawson. So um, he's an actor He's a writer, he's a director, he's been in films like Local Hero. Um, Amazing. Star Wars. A couple Star of films, Wars. yeah. So he was, he was in the original three Star Wars, and then he, yeah. uh, and then he appeared in the, in the final one of the... What's, what's a trilogy of trilogies called? Non, non, nonology. Yeah. Let's not, uh, let's uh, not yeah. mention them. Let's not mention them. And do you know what? I love this, Chris. I'm going to say, this episode is great, listener, because Dennis is a big jazz fan. And so you should have seen little Chris's face through the whole of this interview. His little cheeks. He just couldn't stop smiling. I couldn't stop talking, apart from anything else. And um, you know what? I, I said it earlier in, in, last, in the last episode. It was an education for me, and I have got um, some, some new artists to check out. And a few listeners, head to our website, because we have, as a reminder, we have a page for each episode. And yeah. we have Spotify playlist. Uh, videos and links and things so you know make the most of it you you can go and listen to some of these artists that dennis mentioned so but it was it was lovely to chat i mean i've i've known dennis for for years just because he's from creef which is where my mum's from and he was my uncle's best mate so i've followed his career since you know early doors from early 80s really and so what's lovely about this episode as well is that so we had a great chat and then Dennis contacted me and said, well, I forgot a couple of things. There, there were some other things that I think would be good for the for the pod. Um, we were saying, well, actually, there's a couple of things that we didn't get a chance to ask because there wasn't time. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we've we've got a, a little a little bonus extra bit at the end. So another Easter egg. <laughs> you you are get. I mean, tell you what, you are so lucky. So this episode is only seven hours long. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have too much, Dennis Lawson. So when this episode ends, it doesn't end. There's even more Dennis at the end. So enjoy. Here's Dennis Lawson. Hello and welcome to the Gig Stories podcast, as always, with myself, Alex, and my good Scottish friend, Christopher Payne. How are you, Chris? I'm very well, sir. I'm very well indeed. Now, I'm excited about this because we have a wonderful guest with us, and it's a real privilege. Um, but what I'm interested in is that I have never met this guest, not familiar with this guest, but you, Chris... You have a history, and so this is going to be fun for me seeing, uh, seeing you two chat and, and almost catch up. Let's be honest uh, during the podcast. So, listeners, please welcome our wonderful guest, Dennis Lawson. Dennis, how are you? 
I'm very well, thanks, Alex. I'm glad to be here. Glad to join you both. Brilliant. I feel quite. Uh, I feel quite starstruck and nervous. And oh, Chris is there, happy as Larry, relaxed. Look at him. It's like, is it's only Uncle Dennis? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I've I've known Dennis for 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 many years, but Dennis um, is kind of a friend of my mum's side of the family, and uh, my mum's right. from Creef, and Dennis is from Creef in Perthshire yeah. and, I, and I really wanted to get get Dennis on because I've known for years and years and years how much of a massive music fan and certainly jazz in particular. Jazz is something I've always wanted to educate myself on and so I'm I'm excited Dennis to hear uh, about your sort of jazz preferences and influences. Yeah. You know I've got the classics there my father was um like the old time jazz, you know, Glenn Miller, that kind of big band stuff. So, uh, no, I, I'm now you mentioned, I'm going to jump straight in here, Dennis. Mm. You're, you're from Perthshire. So did you have a musical background? Because I think we, us Celts, I'm a Welshman, people assume that us Celts are all, you know, brought up singing and dancing. Did you have a musical upbringing? Well, in a sense, I did. Uh, I was, I, in fact, I was born in Glasgow and uh, for various reasons, we moved back to my grand, my grandmother was from Crete on my mother's side. And um, so my mother had five brothers and uh, they were, I'm not going to say they were a musical family exactly, but they were, whenever we were family gatherings, everyone sang, everyone got up and sang something. And uh, that included the kids. There was no excuses. Oh, I'm shy. La la la. You're next. Uh, what are you doing? That's how it was. And they were very, um, quite a dynamic family. My mother um, sang very well and was a dancer when she was a kid, tap dancer. Oh, right. okay. And uh, all her childhood, she did dance and um, wasn't allowed to go into the business in the end. My father sang very well and all like, I had like an uncle who could get up and do a 15 minute spot of music hall songs with a mouth organ, you know? And then one of the, my yeah. other uncles from the spoons beside him. <laughs> they were very funny too you know and i had all that going on uh, as a child right through my childhood would you say that was quite unique to your family or was no. that actually very com common in certain your where you grew up uh, like scottish and irish families it's very common right it's a kind of kaylee thing you know everybody gets up and done something. yes and that's really kind of where it came from I don't know if my family, my mother's side were particularly so. They might, might have been. My grandfather, my, my mother's father, also was a small kind of dapper man with a huge voice. He could sing very loudly. And he would do like little, <laughs> little eccentric dances and things like that. And we discovered, um, he was a rather mysterious figure, but we discovered uh, about 10 years ago, he's from Newcastle. And we found the flat he was brought up in in Newcastle. And it was right in the center of Newcastle. Was it Union Street? Okay, it's right in the middle of the city, and right across the street from a music hall. Uh, it was yards away. So perfect. I can only imagine he would have been in and out of there all his childhood. And so he picked up these. He was full of music hall songs and patter and stuff like that. Um, songs like Burlington Bertie and um, oh yeah, loads <laughs> of different things. And odd Victorian poems and stuff like that. What was your party piece? God, now you're asking. Um, I had various ones. I, oh, God, oh, that's a very interesting question. I, uh, oh, I can't remember now. I probably pop songs at the time. Uh, although, I, although, of course, I, as you say, I'm a big jazz fan. I've, I've listened to pop music all my life, loads of it. 
I still do. I would have done various different things. And um, Was that something you looked forward to then? Oh, yeah. Was that absolutely. something, or were you sort of painfully embarrassed by it? Oh, no, no. It was hold me back. I want to get out there. No. <laughs> it was very instrumental really, in me doing what I did, uh, becoming a performer, you know, um, because everyone danced and sang, you know, uh, very like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, apart from the other, the the, the family gatherings and the, the sing songs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, were there records in the house? What what records were playing if if you had them in the house? We had this um, uh, radiogram, quite a big beast of a thing. My, it was appeared in the house. It was really exciting. It had a a deck. Of course, it was singles at that time. So you, you went out and bought singles. And my, my parents, for instance, like 40s uh, dance music, like Glenn Miller. And, um, and then they like, like Mantovani. And there was, and then they, they had, I remember there was a, an album they had called the Big Ben Banjo Band, which was a kind of uh, New Orleans jazz band, you know, which was very big, popular at the time. In, in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, Chris Barber, for instance, uh, on television used to, play a lot of uh, Dixieland jazz. So they, they had all that going on. And we were always, um, I remember in my childhood in Creef in this little town, they decided to open a record shop. Oh my God. Wow. One record shop. And in those heady days of vinyl, you know, you went in and you just flicked through the racks endlessly like this, you know, what's up? And uh, yeah, we, for instance, uh, I remember singles like um, the Shirelles, We Used to Love Me Tomorrow, uh, um, yes. I Go Away, Neil Sedaka. Um, <laughs> five of us were very close at school, including Mrs. Uncle Ron. And um, we used to um, come down, they'd come down to my house and we'd work out a sequence of singles because you could, you could do a rack of 10 singles on the Yes. Tables. And what the reason we were doing this, by the way, was because of, Giddles, Giddles. We were very interested in Giddles. So <laughs> we'd work out the sequence for when the girls came round, maybe on a Saturday afternoon. We had, we, everybody had a girlfriend. We, we Five of us had five girls. And we'd all get in there, we'd have coffee and a bit of toast or something like that. And then we'd put the records on. And they would start quite a bit up-tempo. You know? And then they would gradually wind down to something a bit smoochy and... Uh, <laughs> and a bit like that. Are you telling me that you were the first DJ? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Possibly grief, yes, Alice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I bought a radiogram about 20 years ago, and sadly we had to get rid of it because Gabe came along and a, a nice Marconi radiogram with lovely thin legs, and it's not going to go with a toddler. So we had to get rid of this this Marconi. But oh, you could get five. Man. You could get five loaded up on that one, and it was a joy. And even though we had, you know, we had iPods and and CDs and all that kind of stuff, just that the the joy of something that was a bit more kind of hands on, and you know, having that thing in your hand and and then yeah. clunk as it came on and forget it. That was the other thing, forgetting what you'd put in your in your mix. What and you go, put on. Oh, that one's coming up next. Brilliant. Yeah. I remember too, uh, interesting, uh, we used to, we had this, my father drank whiskey and we had this, uh, this whiskey dimple bottle, which has got a wire mesh around it. It's a gorgeous looking bottle. And my sister, Carol and I used to save, you won't even know what these are, thrupney bits. Oh, yes. <laughs> little silver thrupneys. And every week or so, we'd put a few in until the jar was full. 
and then we'd go to the record shop. And yes. uh, I remember as a teenager buying Peggy Lee. Oh, yes. An album called Street of Dreams, again from my childhood, and the radiogram, and the radio, the radio, which was the BBC light programme at that time. <laughs> um, on a Saturday morning, there was a guy called Jack Jackson who used to do a radio show. And Jack Jackson, although I didn't realise at the time, was a band leader. So we'd, we'd play a lot of pop stuff, but he also was very funny. He'd include clips from uh, Tony Hancock and, and the Goons, who were, who were current, very, very funny radio shows at the time. And so you'd suddenly get a bit of Tony Hancock and a bit of the Goons. It was kind of wild. And he would be playing pop music. And then he'd slip in a little bit of jazz. He'd suddenly put in, it was a guy called Tubby Hayes at that time. He's a great player. Great tenor sax player. And he had a bit of a hit with something called <laughs> the jazz theme from Dr. Kildare, American TV series at the time. And he took the theme from that and, and, um, and reworked it as a jazz piece. And it, it was a bit of a hit. So Jackson would play that. And then he would play, I remember him playing George Shearing, Bubbles, Bangles and Beats, which again was quite a soft piece. Of, he was a gorgeous player, George Shearing. Uh, and that was a bit of a hit at the time too. So I began to hear this stuff and going, oh, I quite like this style of stuff. That's interesting. Well, you know? you're talking about um, Chris Barber there, and it just absolutely rang a bell with me because I suddenly remembered that my my granddad's favourite song was Akko Bilk, um, Stranger on the Shore. Oh, yeah, Stranger on the Shore. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's absolutely that time. And I remember, I, I think... It was about 15 years ago I went to the Bridgewater Hall and saw Ackerbilk and Chris Barber and Humphrey, Humphrey Littleton all playing together. And Wow. Did you ever pick up an instrument yourself? Yes, I was a drummer. I was in the pipe band, and so I was a side, a side drummer, the snare drums. You know, and I enjoyed that a lot. It's one of the few things I really enjoyed at school because I wasn't a great student. Again, the five friends of us, um, we were always known as the Z-Men. C- can I ask why? No. No, you can't. <laughs> it's closely guarded secrets, which no one knows but us. It's so funny. So um, we were all in the band. The five of us were, yeah, five of us we were all. Apart. I don't think Pete was. Four of us, four, four of us were in the band. So I, um, I, I played side drums. And then when I was about 15, I think I got my own kit at home. And I used to play, have a drum kit in my bedroom you know, second-hand thing, you know, but um, I, I loved it. When you were playing with the, 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 the pipe band, I'm, I'm guessing that that was all leading up to the Highland Games in Creef, which was August every year, is it? No, uh, not for us. Uh, you're right, Highland Games are in Creef in August, but our, our school band didn't play at the Games. Oh, really? No, that was in the school holidays, so we wouldn't have been there anyway. Oh, of course, yeah. They had the local, they had the, Creef had its own pipe band at that time, it certainly does now which is terrific. But we had quite a lot of success as a pipe band. We, we won the Scottish School Championships and stuff like that. We did, we did wow. quite well. We had a good man who, who, who a good tutor. He, he, was, he was very good. Uh, there's some sound from, a, from a, a load of drummers playing the side drum. The sound is just, it's incredible. It's incredible. That's right. No, I loved that. I loved that. And I never really took it forward particularly. I, I, hang on, I drummed. I, I, I th- yeah, I was in a local band. I was in a couple of local bands. Yeah, I was in a band. <laughs> I was a kind of slightly rock and rolly band. But then I was in this dance band, hilarious, uh, three piece. 
the piano um, accordion and drums. And the piano player was a, was a farm laborer with hands like manacles. He used to batter his <laughs> And the accordion player was a tiny little man, I always remember. And he played the accordion, but his feet never touched the ground of his chair. So he just swung back <laughs> and uh, and I was uh, and I was the drummer, and we used to do these weddings. And suddenly they would turn to me and go, "Because the twist, that dance, the twist was very current at the time." The chubby checker came with Chubby, chubby Checker. They turned to me at one point in the evening and go, "Right, Dennis, it's the twist. Take it away." <laughs> and I just do a lot of nonsense on the drums. And everybody do the twist. It's hilarious. hilarious. Oh, brilliant. So that was kind of late late fifties then? Late fifties? Early early sixties. No, I would say late fifties, fifty eight, fifty nine, uh, something like that. That's right. Dare I ask, what was your first gig then, Dennis, as a as a performer? As a drummer? Do you remember your first gig? It would have been with that little dance, the country dance band, the piano. Right. It was that. And then later I did play with a kind of local band who was a bit more, slightly more rock and roll, but only briefly, only briefly. But it's probably worth uh, mentioning too, around that period, this record shop, which opened, I think I was about 16, and I went into the record shop one day and I bought, I, I, saw, I, I saw this album cover. It was a dark blue and they had this American train bursting out the front of the cover with sparks coming out the top of it. And the album was called Night Train and it was by Oscar Peterson. And I uh, actually confess, I bought the album because of the cover. I loved the cover. And I took it home and I got really lucky. It's an incredible album by one of the great um, jazz pianists. And I still have that vinyl in my home in London and I still play it. And at one time I could scat that entire album note for note. I just knew it inside out. So it's it's, it's it's a great first buy, first purchase. You were you were a bit of a scat man as well. well yeah, I mean, I've sung all my life, and uh, you know, I, I've I've had a lot of success in musicals, musical theatres. So uh, the whole thing with my mother dancing, that like, all that stuff, came into fruition, and um, and actually, uh, it was a musical which uh, a musical called Pal Joey that I did in the West End, um, which led to a whole lot of other stuff. What, what do you reckon your first kind of grown-up gig was that you, you know, a proper, you know, a rock and roll gig or... I'm just trying to think, because I'm trying to think of any venues in, in Creef and I'm thinking the closest would have been Perth or Dundee, I would have thought. That's interesting you say, because when I was um, uh, 17, 18, I was in Dundee with, with Ron, my pal Ron, and he was kicking off in journalism and I was trying to get into drama school. And so what I did was I... I went to Dundee to see Ron and I joined a little amateur theatre company there. I thought, well, I, if I, I couldn't, I didn't get in the first time around. Um, so maybe I should just try and do some stuff anyway. So I joined this little company. So my first gig I saw, proper gig I saw, was at the Cairds Hall in Dundee, which is a rather beautiful Victorian theatre. Mm. And I saw a guy called Earl Garner, who was, again, one of the great jazz pianists. He had an amazing left hand. Uh, Garner. He was so adroit with both hands. And it was a very exciting gig. And I remember at one point, the trumpet player appeared at the back of the stalls and played down the centre aisle of the theatre. And I've never seen anything like that in my life. So that was a very 
that was a very exciting uh, gig. And that, that was certainly my first jazz gig. And I think uh, probably the first proper gig I ever saw. Oh, I'll tell you who actually, hang on, I just remembered. I also saw the Kinks, a student union. Another guy I knew who was uh, sharing a room in the same house as Ron and I was, a, was also a young journalist, uh, Dougie Ray. And he managed to sneak me in because uh, he was reporting on this gig, this concert. So he got me in as his assistant because uh, it was a student <laughs> union thing. And yeah. uh, saw the Kinks there. And they were, they were fantastic. Yeah. Just remember that. Yeah. They were wonderful. Oh, you saw the Kinks back in the day. I did. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. So that was, uh, that would have been 60, um, oh, my God, 65, 64, something like that. A, a, gig, a gig like that now, if you were taking a modern sort of indie rock band, I know exactly how an audience would be, how it would react, how it would set up. Yeah. Back then in the student union for the Kinks, what, yeah. what was the etiquette? How did it? How did it look with the others? Were you all, you know, rammed in like a tin of sardines or actually was it? Well, everyone, well, everyone's on their feet. There was a lot of dancing. My memory of it was very relaxed. They were just having a great time. And so were the band, yeah. you know, it was, it was good fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Great atmosphere. Yeah. Do you remember what the sound was like? Because, you know, I, I, I hear some of the bands from their time, you know, they just didn't, a lot of them didn't have very good PAs. Yeah. Can you remember? The, the well, sound. that's an interesting question. My memory of that is the sound was very good. They were they were quite a clever band, you know. Um, yeah. Dave Davis and his brother Ray, and uh, I think yeah, it sounded very very good, very yeah. dynamic, punchy, you know. And so then, did you did you start to then just gravitate a bit more towards the the, the jazz side of things, or, or was there still kind of stuff from the hit parade as well? Yeah, I mean that's my my memory is that I don't know that I went saw too many pop rock gigs in um, God, I'm trying to remember now in Scotland. I've just been thinking about jazz mostly. Um, mm. So in '68, I went to the America between my second and third year at drama school. It was American three months. And um, in America, I went, I had an uncle in Washington, DC. I was washing cars in a garage there in a hundred degrees of humidity. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. There was an open air um, concert venue in, in Washington. And I saw Ella Fitzgerald with Count Basie there. Oh. No. Yeah. And I also saw uh, Jose Feliciano. Wow. Also wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. But he was, a lot of the stuff that he was doing at that time were, were covers of um, songs from the charts anyway. You know, he was doing, he was doing um, I mean, his, I think his biggest is Light My Fire, The, the Doors. The yes, yes, yeah. it is. Um, he would have that night, he sang that that night, yeah. How was, how, was, um, how was Ella's voice? Oh, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, it was amazing to have also kind of basically there, that full band, you know. Whoa. Funny enough, going, going back to Dundee, my, uh, the guy who snuck me into the Kinks concert was a bit of a jazz fan too. He had this album by Cannonball Adderley oh. called Mercy, 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 which is a big, quite a big hit at the time. Yeah. And later on in that trip, I, I drove with a couple of friends from Washington to San Francisco. And... Um, I walked into a club one night. There's a street called Broadway, and I paid $1 at the door, and I saw the Cannibal Adderley Quintet. 
just extraordinary. He's my my favourite sax player. Right? Was he with his brother? His brother Nat was it Nat Adderley? Nat Adderley uh, uh, and also Joe Zalino on keyboards, who was genius, really. From Weather Report. Yeah, who went on to establish Weather Report later. Yeah, that's right. Uh, when Joe Zalino went out on his own, I was very very into his his music, and I think. As I recall, a very young drummer called John, uh, Tony Williams was like 17 or something. Incredible yeah. drummer. Yeah. So it was quite a night for a dollar at the door. And it was a small club. Just remarkable. Remarkable. Pop gigs or gigs like that, it seems like they may have been just every now and again. But jazz her jazz became a passion. Yes, it's, it certainly is. I still listen to a lot of pop music. I mean, I'm... One of the lovely things I like to do, um, for instance, and this happened quite early, in, very early in my career in London, because I moved to London in, no, hang on, um, 72, something like that. I did the musical Hair in Amsterdam, very early in my career. And uh, yeah, while I was there, I saw Oscar Peterson at the Concertabau, uh, which was incredible. Um, but I also saw there I can Tina Turner, amazing, you know. So there were a couple of highlights in Amsterdam at that time, you know, 70, I think 70, 72, something like that. And then I moved to London and um, I, I discovered, well, maybe after a few years in London, I discovered Ronnie Scott's. I was going to ask you about that, but just before we talk about Ronnie Scott's, I, I, I was going to talk to you about jazz clubs in general. And um, I mean, I've been to a, a few but there's something special and something unique about a, a jazz club. Yeah. Something about the... Well, I mean, I suppose it's about a jazz gig as well. There's a there's a, an etiquette during a piece of jazz that's being played. You know, you'll you'll applaud. You'll applaud a, a solo halfway through the song. And <laughs> uh, but also you'll you, you'll be able to see in a, a a jazz club the really knowledgeable kind of beatnik guys who really know yeah. their jazz. And they'll they'll have a little titter to themselves. They'll have a little laugh because a, a sax player has referenced another song in yeah. his solo and that kind of thing. Two bars of this, yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. I'm just thinking that you you were already hooked on the music, but was there yeah. something about being in a jazz club that you felt at home there as well? Yeah, very quickly. Very quickly, and I used to find it very relaxing if I was in the theatre in London, you know, and to be able to go to, it was funny, just to be able to go and watch somebody else work after a show was a really lovely thing to do. Yeah. And, it, you know, I always think no matter how well jazz is recorded, it's nothing like seeing it live because they are, you know, they're improvising constantly all the way along the line. And so it's very exciting and um engaging for that reason were they as i imagine from that i see films were you at a, a table was it a very smoky atmosphere was there sort of you know mood lighting was it really that dennis well i mean uh if i talk about ronnie scott's um i think it's the best jazz venue i've ever been in and i've been in it a great deal it's the most incredible oh, wow. room for music it's just extraordinary it's it's holds about 250 people, something like that, and they're round, wrapped around the stage, three sides. Everyone has a table. You kind of squeeze into a little booth and uh, you can have something to eat and a drink and there's table service and stuff like that. And um, 
Yes, uh, certainly in those days, yeah, people would have been smoking, yes. And um, Ronnie Scott himself would introduce the acts, you know, and he was a very, very funny man. He was a great friend of um, um, one of the goons um, uh, who wrote the goons show. Spike Milligan? Spike Milligan, thank you. Spike Milligan was a jazz player himself. He's played jazz cornet, I think. But Ronnie Scott used to introduce the acts um, and he would stand in the dark behind a pillar and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he would he would say things like um good evening this audience is a credit to poland <laughs> <laughs> one of his favorite lines was uh let's all join hands and try and contact the living shall we <laughs> <laughs> and he, he would repeat the same gags every time you saw him and you always laughed um, the another one was, um, there are two cows in a field. One cow says to the other, I'm really worried about this mad cow disease. The other cow says, I'm not. Just why is that? She says, because I'm a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff like that. Um, was, was that unusual? Was that really unusual for a jazz club? Yes, it is, it is quite unusual. I mean, jazz, I would say uh, the jazz musicians I've met and know are funny. They tend to be quite funny and witty people uh, because, uh, of course, the essence of comedy is timing and they have perfect timing. So they they tend to be rather dry, droll, funny characters a lot, a lot yeah. of the time. Which is funny because from the outside, as an outsider, to me, it always seemed like, you know, jazz musicians and that just took themselves very seriously or, or rather jazz did, you know, as an entity. Well, they do. I, that, I think that's absolutely true. They do take themselves very seriously, and their music, and their their playing, and their you know technically, they're, most of them are absolutely brilliant with incredible techniques. So, but but um, off stage, and you know, they can be very very funny, very funny, and some of them on stage, yeah. Now I'm I'm going to ask you something. It seems like we're going to take a, a bit of a right turn here, but this this is something that Chris and I really like. We, we both are sort of fans of memorabilia, live music memorabilia, whether that's, whether that's ticket stubs, um, programs. Was that something you ever did? Did you ever, uh, have you kept any of your sort of ticket stubs or programs or any sort of kinds of memorabilia, you know, from, from your live gigs? Funny enough, funny enough I don't, don't think I have. Um, not, from, not from music gigs, no. Um, I'd be more liable to do that for plays I've seen, kept programs and stuff like that of interest, you know, but... Yes, yeah. It, is that because maybe then in in the jazz world, I suppose there's a question for both of you, that that's sort it's not a thing. No, it's not a thing. Well, I mean, for instance, when you go to someone like Ronnie Scott's, there are no tickets. Uh, you just have your name on the door, you know, and they show you in. So you're, uh, it's just not like that. So, really? Uh, that's, that's, that's absolute news to me. Yeah, yes. I mean, you call up. I mean, you, you make a booking, a reservation, and you yeah. just put your name down and you walk up to the desk and say, hello, Dennis Lawson comes here. And, and that's fine. Your name's there and then you go in. So there's no ticket. Yeah. I'm so ignorant. I'm so ignorant. I really want to experience Ronnie Scott. I, I want a Ronnie Scott experience. I was going to say the best um, jazz club I, I was ever in, and this was back in 99, and I'd, I'd always wanted to go to this club to hear this band, and it was a club called Fez, in or it was a club night in uh, called Fez, 
and it was the Charlie Mingus big band. Ooh. And it was in, and it was ah. in Man- Manhattan, just off Bleecker Street. And I don't know if you've have you seen the Charlie Mingus big band? I have. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they were fantastic. Oh, yeah. they absolutely blew me away. But we 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 got in there on a I think it was a Thursday night, and um, we got a booth and we 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 sat there and. The band were incredible, and at one point, the, um, one of the barmen jumped over and got his sax out and oh my god, played, yeah. played with the band. What? But then they came round and said, <laughs> do you, "So there's going to be a second session. Do you want to pay for another session?" And uh, that was new to me. Normally, you would just go and you pay for your yeah. gig, you you listen to the gig, and then you went home. Yeah. But it was like, no. So you got your first sitting, and then you got your second sitting. Yeah. And um, right. I was like, yeah, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my ears. <laughs> it's yeah. it's <laughs> incredible. Um, and yeah, so I'd, I, I, um, but, but I'd, I don't have a ticket from that. And that was one of the greatest gigs I've ever seen. Can I assume that because I was introduced to Charles Mingus mm-hmm. yes. uh, uh, but by um, one of my um, drama teachers in university in drama school, Bob, Bob Farker. I love him. Um, is this the same Mingus as the Charlie Mingus big band then? Yeah, yeah. So he died. He died several years ago. But he's a uh, an upright bass player. Right, Dennis. We are going to take you into what we call the quick fire round. Oh my God, okay. I'm going to ask the first question. Yeah. Your favourite voice or vocalist live? Now, I'm, I'm also thinking, let me, just, let me just acknowledge that you have, of course, because of your musical theatre past, yeah. th- this actually could be, you know, someone on the stage as opposed to yes. know, uh, Ella Fitzgerald or... or yes, yes. Turner. So your, your favourite your vocalist live, who would that be? Well, um, I, I, if you don't mind, I go for. I'm going to give you two names. Very early on in London at Ronnie Scott's, I saw Sarah Vaughan. Ah, uh, yeah. And I think she uh, she's has an extraordinary, those beautiful, warm, round tone of a voice. And uh, although it sounds like sacrilege, I would prefer her to Ella Fitzgerald. I think she she's quite extraordinary. Uh, the other woman I uh, I saw much more recently, Cassandra Wilson. Oh yes, yes. Uh, uh, who's uh, who's just wonderful. I mean, her albums are just fantastic, and she also has very interesting musicians play with her. And I I was one of the one of my best gigs at Ronnie Scott's among a few. You know, but I was right up there. She was just mesmeric and wonderful. Now I I don't know Cassandra Wilson. Mm. Um, so can, can you explain her to me, Dennis, and maybe where she fits in the genre? She's American. She's uh, um, she's very steeped in blues and R and B. Right. She'll take a, um, a a pop song and just rework it in a very very interesting way, you know, yeah. and also writes her own songs too. But her albums are just wonderful. They're wonderful because they have a kind of pop 
uh, slant to them, a kind of R&B slant to them. Yeah. But she is a jazz singer. There's no question about that. That's exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a note of that. I would just say that every every episode that we do of the podcast, um, there's, a, there's a page for every episode on our website. And um, we have a Spotify playlist on there and we'll have video clips from, from YouTube. And I've got a funny feeling that... Uh, Yours, Dennis, is going to be the biggest of all of them because because you're you're naming a, a, a lot of um, um, incredible stuff. Also, it's my bag, and uh, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> your one is going to be massive. I think it's great. It's exciting because you know I I hope as well that for people listening that there's at least a few people that are going to be discovering new artists as well and this is you know partly what this is about i love that i love that next one in the quickfire round is your your favorite musician that you've you've seen live instrumentalist Ooh, bloody nora that's hard okay (laughs) um um again one of my absolute highlights uh, early on at ronnie scott's was chick Corea, and uh it was when he had his electric band and it was quite uh, unusual at that time to have an entirely electric, if you like, electronic jazz band, if you like. Uh, and they were very special. I love that band. I find them very exciting. And he was a great player. Well, again, it's just hard to... Um, oh, okay, um, actually, Miles Davis. Have you seen Miles Davis live? I did, uh, but... I saw him quite late on in the, I think, the Festival Hall in London, which is not the best uh, venue for jazz. It wasn't his best. Was that was that kind of fairly recent? Well, not recent, but was it like early nineties? That kind of it was nineties. You know, again when he when he was um, well, it's fantastic. He was he was experimental all the way along the line. He was always yeah. changing. It was one of his huge strengths. He would just go in another direction. And you to try and keep up with him, you know. And he had some amazing players with him, uh, for sure. But Jen, but you know, the album "Kind of Blue" for me is probably, yeah, it's my favorite album yeah. of all time. Right? And the musicians that he he gathered together for that album, every single one of them is a, a, an absolute legend. With John Coltrane in there and Bill Evans, and yeah, he he was he was incredible, especially around about the the fifties into the sixties. That was the, the the golden period for me. Yeah, absolutely extraordinary. So your your next question is, it, it depends how we phrase it. Is your favourite gig, but that also most memorable because it could be memorable because I don't know something completely daft happened. Well, um, there's so many, but there's one that pops up to me. Okay. In uh, Nice, in the south of France, they have a jazz festival every year in June, I think, and it's in a big, oh, a big Roman amphitheater above oh, Nice, wow. so it's open air, and uh, they have three stages uh, going at the same time, and um, you pay. It's not very well. I I haven't been for truck a few years now but it was never very expensive and you could get a beer in there and eat something and just wander around and listen to whatever whoever was playing yeah. that night and um, I, there was a really standout gig there was D.B. King oh. uh, who played there and that was phenomenal um, but also on the same night there I saw a very interesting uh, lineup. there's a wonderful bass player called Stanley Clark he's a phenomenal jazz bass player um, uh, electric, you know, not upright, not upright usually. Or both, in fact. Uh, but he, he was playing an acoustic set. So he was on upright bass that night with um, 
a brilliant guitar player, player called Al Daniola, and also a violinist called Jean-Luc Ponty, and a French jazz violinist, the three of them wow. together. And that was just wonderful. And they also made an album together. His name I cannot remember at the moment. But it's a beautiful album they made together, an acoustic album. I'm going to search that out. Well, I, I saw him perform. This was one of my favourite ever gigs. And that, this was at the Glasgow Jazz Festival in 1992, I think. Uh -huh. And it, it was um, Stanley Clark on bass, a drummer called Omar Hakim on well, on drums, obviously. He's done done a lot with, with um, Sting and, um, well, everyone. But the, the saxophonist was Wayne Shorter and... And the the piano player was uh, Herbie Hancock, and and oh this was God. at the Glasgow Royal Concert Hall, and they absolutely blew me away. And I I was looking, well, I, I was going to say I was looking up in the loft. I am up in the loft, <laughs> and I found I found a cassette that I recorded. I recorded the gig that I was at off Radio Three, I think it would have been. Um, so I'm gonna have to get that transferred, and I'll I'll send it down to you. But it's um, it's amazing because Stanley Clark and Omar Hakim have this kind of duel, and so he he was doing his slap yeah. bass, and then the drummer was doing his stuff, and but yes, that's. Stanley Clark, what a player! Yes, yes, he's wonderful. Wonderful. Now our listeners can't see us, but 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 I can see you, and yeah. I'm listening to you, and the the passion <laughs> and the enthusiasm that I'm getting <laughs> over this jazz is brilliant. And so it's it's bringing all these questions to mind. And w when you're a jazz fan, is it is it very much a community thing? I, I would say so. I mean, again, I, I'd go back to my favourite venue, Ronnie Scott's, and that is a very much a community feel. Um, it's not like you see the same faces every time you go, it's not that, but there is a sense of uh, you're going to one of the best jazz clubs in the world. And that's just, that's not my opinion. Most jazz musicians who play there um, will say the same thing. And um, this has a fabulous atmosphere. So you do get that, yes. Um, but also I think, yeah, if you meet someone else who has that same interest, you can, you know, bounce off them and, uh, you know, that's... Uh, so, yes, there is a sense of community. Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I first started getting into jazz, um, obviously I was too young to go on my own and also I was living in the Scottish borders, um, so there, wa there wasn't very much going on. Um, so Assembly Direct used to put on a whole load of uh, a series of, of jazz gigs at the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh in the early 90s and uh, late 80s, early 90s. Oh. And so I used to choose the ones that I wanted to go to. My dad used to take me. And so we, we'd go and see, a lot of it was, was Scottish jazz. And, and in the early 90s, the British jazz scene, I mean, I, I've kind of got a little bit out of touch with the, the, the British jazz scene recently, but certainly in the early 90s, there was a real um, renaissance of, of British players you're Tommy Smith. There was um, yeah. another saxophonist called Steve Williamson. There was Jason Rebello playing piano. There was, uh, Andy Shepherd from Bristol. Um, but they used to all play at the Queen's Hall. But I, even as a 15, 16 year old going to the Queen's Hall, I used to see the same people every every couple of weeks because we'd bought into it. And it even then, as a 15 year old, 16 year old. I kind of felt part of something and yeah yeah I, I i love i love being part of a jazz crowd it's great i think edinburgh as far as i, as far as I recall as far as i know is edinburgh's quite 
quite a jazz oriented yeah. city. Quite, it's quite a good, uh, good place for jazz. I always feel that in Scotland. They used to, know. I mean, Scotland, uh, certainly the, the, the Glasgow Jazz Festival used to get some massive names. And, our, our, you know, at the start of the 90s, we went to see Dizzy Gillespie with his United Nations Jazz Orchestra. Oh, wow. But that year, it was a toss up between going to see Dizzy Gillespie or, or Miles Davis. Or previous year, Stan Getz was playing or B.B. Or King or... Um, I think Sinatra might have even played the the previous years, but but Glasgow really uh, Glasgow and to a certain extent Edinburgh, but mainly Glasgow with the jazz festival, they got a massive reputation. There's a wonderful uh, radio station called Jazz 24, which comes out of Seattle on the West Coast, America. They play 24 hours of jazz commercial free. If you just listen to that, uh, you, you, I've discovered loads of different things, uh, musicians through them, through bands. Yeah, they're, they're a great state. Fantastic. We'll put a link to that on our, on our website as well. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great show. It just seems like, as, as I'm listening to you, I don't think I've ever met someone who sort of dabbled in jazz. It's like <laughs> you're in, you know? You're either in or you're not. It's binary. You're either jazz or you're not. <laughs> you know, I've also, I've also seen Wynton Marsalis, uh, Roy Scott's, a few years back, and that was extraordinary. He had a, he had a wonderful um, Scottish sax player. I don't know if he was playing with his band at that point um, when you saw him, but uh, Joe Temperley. He was a bar- bar- baritone sax player. With a, he had a big, big moustache, and um, he was playing with um, with Wynton Marsalis's band um, about 10, 15 years ago. I, th- I think Joe Temperley's passed passed away, but he, he was he, he was quite something. But he was he was he used to play with Duke Ellington's band. He he em- he emigrated uh-huh. from I don't know. I'm trying to think. All I can remember was it Cooper. I think it might have been Cooper or or Danoon or somewhere in Fife anyway, and 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 went across to the states and joined Ellington's band <laughs> of all things. And that was that was that was in the fifties. You're in your favourite venue, which is Ronnie Scott, and yes. you're there for the for the evening, and you're going to watch three artists. Who's your top three? What would be your perfect night at Ronnie Scott's? No, okay, that's easier. That's <laughs> easier. Okay, so some years ago. Um, I went to see Curtis Stivers, oh. who crosses both ends of the pride, you know, because he's a pop yeah. guy, very good tenor sax player, and a great singer. And I went to see him. I had a few of his albums, and I, uh, quite often at Ronnie Scott's, they'll sign CDs on the way out of the gig. You know, if you buy CDs, then they'll sign them. So I went up to speak to him, and I said, look, um, I've got all your stuff. Now, I've got everything you've done, but I just want to say, I just you're one of my favourite singers. I'm just a and I was walking away and he said, just a second, I know you. And he called me back and there's a movie I did uh, a while, while back called Local Hero and it was one of his favourite films. He's a New Yorker. And so we had a chat and um, ever since then, um, whenever he's in London, we became friends, which is lovely. And whenever he's in London, uh, which is twice a year, he plays at Ronnie's and we always meet up. We have dinner, drinks, whatever. And... Um, He's become a bit of a pal and he is great to see actually because he's very entertaining. He's very sharp. He's very cool. He's very funny. And then he sings. Oh yeah. And he, he sings. I mean, he'll do like a Bob Dylan song, you know, and turn it into a jazz number. I just admire him very much. I think he's terrific. He has a beautiful singing voice. 
He's outstanding uh, playing playing the saxophone. Yes. He's funny. He's 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 chiselled, very handsome. Yeah, he's really annoying. Really annoying. Really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, then, Dennis. Next time he's over, Chris and I are going to come and hide behind your booth. Yeah, come and hide. Yeah. Is he on first? Is he warming you up during the night, or is he the headliner? Uh, I'd probably put on him the headliner, but the, uh, there's another guy I'd like to see called Roy Ayers who's a great vibes player, vibraphone player. He, again, his stuff's very accessible. Um, he's a great showman. Uh, when I saw him some years back at Ronnie's, he's an incredible band, really yeah. sharp American players, very cool. He was quite amusing. His, his music's just great and very uplifting, good fun. And quite witty too, you know. He's opening the night then. He's opening the night. Sorry, can I just say that the first photograph that I ever sold was a photograph of Roy Ayers. Was it? Yeah, oh, it was. Wow. I, I, I photographed him at Band on the Wall in Manchester, and um, it's the first first photograph that I ever sold. Actually, it's one of the only photographs I've ever sold. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. So we've got Roy Ayers on first, warming the crowds up. Obviously, Curtis is headlining. Who's coming on in between them? Boy, well, I think um, probably put Cassandra Wilson on after Roy Ayers, yes. My God. Yeah, that's what I do. I'm excited about that. I'm going to arrange that. Oh, my God. I'm yeah. loving that. I'm loving that. You're so excited about that. But you fancy now. That is brilliant. Yeah, just, I just remember this. The radio station I talked to you about, Jazz 24, I heard, I kept hearing this jazz, this, this guitarist called Martin Taylor, the wonderful jazz guitarist, really great. And I got some of his stuff. I bought a few, a few of his albums. And... The, my hometown of Creef, Bristol's, of course, there's a French restaurant there called Yans. It's a very, very good restaurant. And when I'm home in Creef, I go there. I'm, I'll always go there a couple of times when I'm home. So that's the setup, okay? So I'm in London. I've been at home not too long ago. And I noticed uh, there's another lovely jazz venue in Soho called the Pizza Express in Dean Street, one of the Pizza Express chains. And I noticed Martin Taylor is on playing one night. So I go down on my own. I, I just went on my own. I had a table on my own. And as usual, I had a glass of wine and something to eat before the show. And I'm standing, I'm sitting, waiting for the set, the gig to start. And this woman appeared in front of my table and said in a broad Scottish accent, the last time we saw you, you were a Yans. <laughs> This is my hometown, <laughs> Creef. And then a man came and stood beside her, clutching a guitar, and it was Martin Taylor. And he went, oh, my God, I'm a great fan of yours. I said, no, no, I'm a great fan of yours. Uh, I watched him play. I did the gig then, and then we went out for a drink. And, we, and he, amazingly, lives six miles from my hometown, Perthshire. Green loading. That's brilliant. Oh, it, it's extraordinary. And again, again, whenever he's in London, I see him. Whenever we go home, I'll meet up with him and have a coffee or whatever. So he's another pal of mine who's come out of that. But to hear him on a jazz station on the west coast of America, and then discover he lives six miles from my <laughs> that's, home. That's so funny. But he's a great player, a lovely player. We need to bring this to, to an end because we, we've kept you talking. But, but before we let you go, though, yes, I suppose this is going to be more for me than, than Chris, but... Chris as well, because we're hoping that soon Chris and I will be able to go to gigs together and take each other to our favourite venues and see our favourite artists. Give us a recommendation of one artist that you think, Chris and I, we just must see. We must go and see live. I might go for uh, Pat Metheny. Yeah. Pat Metheny, again, is a, 
Joe Christian, he's a brilliant jazz guitarist and composer, a great composer. And he's always interesting. He's, he's always got very interesting musicians with him. And he's, uh, uh, he famously went to um, music school when he was 15. And by the time he was 16, he was teaching there. So he's a, he's a, he's a kind of extraordinary um, musician, I think. Yeah, I like uh, him a lot. Uh, have you seen him before, so, Chris? Yeah, I photographed him at um, the, the Lowry in Salford. And uh, so normally oh, okay. with, with a, a, a gig, you'll have first three songs, no flash is the instruction for the photographer. But with the Pat Metheny, um, it was, you get the first 15 minutes of the first song. Because <laughs> 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 he was doing like half an hour straight through and then yeah um, but yeah incredible incredible uh, musician that's a great recommendation yeah the last question that we we ask all our guests is if you can recommend either a live album or a live track or a, you know a, a, a video that you've seen on your youtube of a, a live performance what, what what and you don't have to restrict yourself to one but just what would what would you suggest you know i suppose i'd like to go right back to the beginning and recommend the album night train by oscar peterson which was sort of in a way some in some ways, my introduction is a wonderfully uplifting jazz kind of almost um, blues album. It's just great. It's great. And an amazing, an amazing uh, trio. Just fantastic. Yeah. So we shall link that so all our all our listeners can have a listen. Okay. That. Dennis, you have been absolutely wonderful. I, I love oh, that you've had notes. I love the, the, the passion <laughs> and excitement. <laughs> And I'll be honest, I feel really excited. I've never been to Ronnie Scott's and I just want to go to Ronnie Scott's with you to watch you watching, watching the musicians. Yeah, I've, I've never been. Oh, you've never been either? No, I've never been to Ronnie Scott's. No, no. Oh, I, I, I literally assumed that you would have, Chris. Oh, my gosh. Well, the, the three of us, we're going to have an evening out. And I am, I'm just going to sit in the middle and watch you both, either side of me. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. fact, no, I, I won't be able to sit in between you because you two are just going to have to, <laughs> you, you're, you're going to have to natter, natter. Talking during the set, Alex. Go talking during the set. I'll no, be following your right. lead on when I should clap and should. Yeah, clap we're, well. we're not animals. We're not animals. <laughs> You'll get turfed out, turfed out if you talk in the set. <laughs> so honestly, Dennis, thank you. You've made this so simple. And what a genuine delight, a delight and a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. Great one. Very well. Cheers, Chris. Speak to you soon. fantastic i am so excited because you lot get part two part two of dennis more dennis i mean you are getting more dennis for your money than you can imagine and uh, and that money actually dennis is zero by the way i know right oh <laughs> I, I didn't know that okay well really i must dash uh, <laughs> i did tell your agent i i love this i love this i'll be honest i could have spoken to you for hours on oh. that first interview yeah and i'm yeah. so pleased that you were eager to share more with us um and in yeah, fact yeah. both of you because the listener this is sort of all the three of us catching up as well i've yeah, uh, been quite excited in this house um because yesterday morning it's the first time it's happened for a while i um i was up an hour before a specific gig went on sale so my daughter uh, really likes this artist called girl in red uh european artist i think she's from norway 
um, and she's playing the Ritz in Manchester. Oh. It was like the excitement of having to get tickets again, and and so uh, I I had the I had the laptop open, my mobile, I had lots of tabs, and so I could look <laughs> with, with Live Nation, see tickets, Ticketmaster, so I could make sure exactly for next year. So it was that sort of anxiety of will I get to? And I did. I was super dad, Dennis and Chris. I I got Grace a ticket. So, which makes me want to ask, have you got any gigs coming up at all? Well, yes, yes. I mean, this is this will sound a little off-piece from the stuff I've discussed before, but... Oh, I like that. In fact, my, my wife, Karen, and uh, 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 booked some seats uh, for a gig next May in Bristol. Right. Open air. Big concert uh, open air venue. And we're going, to see, we're going to see the Killers. No way! Yeah, because she's a big Killers fan, and I love them. And... We're on the same bill, get this, is Supergrass. Yes. And then this guy who I think is brilliant called Sam Fender. <laughs> I, it's true. I think he's absolutely brilliant, Sam Fender. Oh my gosh, Dennis, I, I don't think I don't think I could love you <laughs> anymore. Oh my gosh. This is incredible. I have to say Alex has been wanting to see Sam Fender for forever two years. really for two, two, years. two years and, and he's the cancel he's at, obviously last year he had to cancel the year before he cancelled his door dennis because he was ill he had um he had really severe laryngitis or nodules have you ever seen supergrass live dennis no no never i've never seen oh, any. oh let me tell you oh they are incredible you're in for a treat i'm in for a real treat have you seen the killers before no, I've never seen them live. No, I never. No, no. So that'll be that'll be a rare treat, I'm sure. They are because they, they play. Oh, they play in Bristol City, aren't they? Aren't they playing the football stadium? That's right. That's where we're going. Yeah, that's uh, it. They are. They are fun. He Brandon gets a bit of stick because he can be a bit pitchy, mm. but okay, they put on such a show, and the rest of them, especially Ronnie on the drums, they yeah. are absolutely incredible. And when they headlined Glastonbury two years ago. They, yeah. Um, yeah, they gave it a hell of a go. And in fact, they brought on with them uh, the Pet Shop Boys. They did two songs. They did two songs with the Pet Shop Boys and it really worked. Like, yeah. really worked. I, I, I lost my head. And then they brought on Johnny Marr. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow. and 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 played uh, played Smith. It, it was just yeah, yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited. It's a year away, Alex. So, but nonetheless. <laughs> well, mate, that's that gig I said to you. I'm buying tickets for my daughter for. Yeah. that's next May in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. There you go. But in my head, for both of you here, in my head, this is how I'm taking it mentally. I am writing off this year. I've got one ticket. Yeah. Or two tickets for one gig in October in Manchester, and I'm thinking if it happens, it happens. If yeah. any of these festivals that I'm supposed to be at happen, it happens. But I'm not expecting. I'm telling myself next year, next year, because I can't cope with the excitement. Or no, no, disappointment. no, it's quite right, quite right. I, I, it's got to be said, Chris. Did you see that coming? Did you see Dennis <laughs> saying, "I'm off to see the killers"? The super killers. Ass and I have to say, it was not on my bingo card of things that that Dennis would come up with. So, fair play. Um, I, I'm a, an awful lot of my gigs, obviously, are jazz orientations. Of course, they are. Um, but I do. I've always listened to pop music since you know, since I could hear. You know, and I was around when rock and roll actually smacked everyone in the face, you know, for the first time. Yeah. So 
I've been immersed in pop music ever since. So, um, Dennis, you you say that, and I I genuinely lo- I love moments in time musically, and you just said that you were there when rock and roll really made. Yeah. Diff- what does that mean? When was that, and who was it for you? What we? You- I think I can tell you uh, two things. Uh, the first one was uh, when we went to the local cinema in Creef. There were two right. cinemas at that time, and we saw Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock. Right, okay. And it was incredible. And I, I never heard anything like that or seen anything like that. And then the other thing I remember very well was once a year, the, what we called the shows in Scotland or the fairground came for right. two weeks to the town. And that was the first time I'd really heard music played in, in the drives, you know, the, 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 um, the dodgems and the, uh, the waltzers and stuff like that. And they had these massive speakers now, we're talking about the 50s here. And so you could stand there and it made your hair stand on end. You know, and the sound was extraordinary. And they played really? rock and roll really loud, you know. And so it was very, very exciting. You just stood there and go, oh, my God, it was incredible. You mentioned Bill Haley. Yeah. What was the actual reaction? Can you remember when, like, the yeah. physical reaction? Because, because it was so different. Oh, yeah. Just not know what to do with themselves. Oh, well, I mean, there were... Yeah time uh, in in those gigs there were riots literally what? the audience really? yeah you stock you go i go um go back and have a look yourself and news real stuff or whatever but they tore the seats up they went absolutely crazy because they'd never heard anything like that and suddenly he was their stuff you know and it was loud and the beat and um it was aggressive not aggressive but um it, it just the audience just went absolutely it had an incredible impact Oh, yes. I, I, I found it incredibly exciting. It's just amazing because it was a, a completely new kind of sound. You know, rock and roll was uh, just came at us from left field. We, uh, you know, never had anything just like like that at all. You know? And you were in the you were in the first generation of teenagers as well. There, yeah. there hadn't been the, the concept of teenagers wasn't a thing before the 50s, really. Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. No, we, you're absolutely right. There wasn't such, it was a marketing tool by the Americans, really, I think. But um, the term teenager had never been heard until, uh, I don't know, probably late 50s or something like that, or 58, something, I don't know. But so you're quite, quite right. Man, that, that penny's never dropped. That penny's never dropped for me. That is a great point. That, 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 I'm not sure that we've... So, yeah, you, you experienced maybe the most important change in music history in, in the past. Years. Uh, you know, I mean, some people would argue with that, wouldn't they? But, but I, think, I, I think we did. Although, of course, I never saw it. I didn't see it live for, for many years. But, um, mm. but it didn't matter. It, there was the cinema, there was TV, there was records, you know, um, loads of vinyl. So we, we we talked to you before, obviously, and we we packed in loads of stuff. But there were a couple of things that a we 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 didn't have time to ask you, and b oh, yeah. um you you didn't bring up at the time. We wanted to just just add to to add a bit a bit more richness to the to the the episode. So yeah, um, I'll do the roundhouse. Uh, well, well, absolutely. Um, now this is the Camden Roundhouse, is that right? Right, that's right. It's near Chop Farm. It was an engine turning shed. And so it's like a round brick tent. It's very large and it's a great, great venue. Yeah, um, it really is. Came to, moved to London from Amsterdam, in, I think around 73, 
uh, my first gig in London was in the Roundhouse doing Titus Andronicus. And um, your first acting, yeah, that was your first acting gig in in London. In London was there. I moved, uh, and luckily, I moved to a job, which was great. And um, at that time, the Roundhouse was incredibly vibrant. They did lots of plays, you know, and uh, quite avant-garde stuff as well. And then on Sundays, they used to do these rock concerts. And uh, I went to a lot of those. They were, they were they had a great atmosphere to them. And I saw particular people that I remember. It was Rod Stewart in the Faces and Joan Armour trading. Yeah, oh, man. Rod Stewart in the Faces, they have a real reputation. And people say that they were... I mean, you know, the bee's knees. Were they fantastic? Well, they were fantastic. They were also an hour late. So, um, <laughs> very rock and roll at the time to be just a bit, you know, sworn on late. So everybody was a bit restless. And they did a very, very smart thing. They immediately started handing bottles of wine out to the audience. What? So <laughs> that relaxed everybody immediately. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> they were a brilliant band. I mean, the faces were great, you know. And, um, and of course, Rod's... They, they were just wonderful absolutely brilliant it was a great gig he's always been a performer i've seen him as a solo rod stewart could you tell back then that there's something about this guy oh yeah absolutely i mean he his his songwriting and his, his recordings at that time were, were tr- fantastic and he, and he had a great that great voice no he was wonderful absolutely wonderful and i'm not surprised by his longevity at all not at all it's just, but there was also a wonderful Scottish band called Nazareth on at that time, who were also terrific, you know, just brilliant. brilliant I, don't, I don't know these. Who, who, who were these? What, what were they? I can't remember, uh, I can't remember titles now, but uh, they had a couple of big hits, Nazareth, back, back at that time, you know. Well, what I'll do is I'll find, a, I'll find a, a video, a YouTube video of Nazareth performing live, and I'll pop it on the episode page so we can all have a, have a watch and a listen. And did you say Joan Armour Trading? Joan Armour Trading played. Uh, she was wow. fantastic. And I remember a funny thing about, about her. Uh, she did a lovely set. And then, you know, she, she finished the concert and said, well, she said, well, you know, you've not been a very good audience, but uh, anyway, bye. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's you telt. <laughs> that's you telt. <laughs> I, I don't know quite... I don't know quite why we were such shit audience, but because she was terrific. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> wow. I love that someone like Joan Armitrade as well. You're not, you're not very good, actually. That was a tradition then, was it, at the Roundhouse? Sunday was kept aside for... For bands, for rock bands and... Live pop. music. But the rest of the week was, was theatre? The rest and... of it would be theatre, yeah, drama. And as I say, quite some quite avant-garde stuff um, was, was done there. Um, there was a play called Pork by Andy Warhol, really out there, weird and mad, and lots of stuff like that. And also I saw a Stockhausen concert there too. So they they did everything. And I loved that, I thought it was fantastic. Can you remember that gig, what it was like? Yes, the Stockhausen uh, was fascinating. I I liked it very much. Um, It was very unusual, obviously it was electronic and orchestral. So at that time, we're talking about the 70s. So it was really, it was really cutting edge, you know. Did you ever, this seems a bit superficial here. Did you ever meet any musicians or? Yeah, or... actually, I, I, since, you bring up, since you bring up, I want to tell you a very, a very lovely story. Um, uh, this, this will mean a lot to Chris, I think. Um, there's an amazing guitar player called John McLaughlin. He played with um, Miles Davis. He played 
I, I got into him in the eighties. Mm, I saw him in Edinburgh. Okay, he's called in a band called Lifetime with a very young drummer called Tony Williams, and he's one of the the great jazz fusion players. John McLaughlin, an, an English guy. Then he played with Miles Davis, and he had a band called the Mahavishnu Orchestra, which were kind of extraordinary. So anyway, here's this inc- extraordinary musician, and I've gone to this beach in Italy for about off and on for 30 years, the same place. I love going there. I got married there about three years ago. And last summer, last September, I was there for my birthday. They, I know the people who run the beach very well. They're great friends. And, and my friend Vera said to me, oh, do you know, John McLaughlin's starting to come to the beach for dinner, for, for lunch. They have a great cafe, restaurant on the beach. And he lives in Monte Carlo. I said, oh, oh my God, so amazing. So it was my birthday. And I, I was on the beach, I was having lunch, and um, I spotted John McLaughlin at the other side of the restaurant. No way. And my, and my friend Vera came over to me and said, do you want to meet him? I said, no, 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 listen, it's fine. I Don't disturb him. Perhaps I'll go over and say hello later on. And so anyway, I'm having lunch. It's my birthday. And I order dessert. And uh, my dessert comes out with candles on it or something. And then everybody starts to sing happy birthday on the cafe. But what I realized is John McLaughlin is carrying my dessert over to me, (laughs) singing happy birthday to me. And I was, this is one of the great musicians, you know, uh, um, as far as I'm concerned, of the 20th century. And um, who's who's singing happy birthday for me. And he was so lovely, such a sweet man. We had a great chat afterwards. So it was quite (laughs) special. A very, very special Happy game. birthday to you. That is brilliant. It was extraordinary. If you look up his biography, it's just, he's, he's absolutely amazing. Was that kind of um, Bitches Brew yes. era of... He, pay, he played on Bitches Brew. Right. Um, and many bands and collaborations and played with, oh my God. But both Jeff Beck and, and Pat Metheny yeah. consider him the world's greatest guitar player. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Sadly for Chris, the only person that's ever sung him happy birthday is me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. You know. Was he in tune? It was very touching. <laughs> yeah. It was. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis, we know you don't have long. I was just. There was one question that which I didn't have time to ask you last time, and um, you you touched on uh, musical theatre um, in the first interview, and you know, Pal Joey, and you mentioned appearing in Hair in, in Amsterdam. But I know, I mean, certainly my gran would always, she'd love hearing um, Spread a Little Happiness from Mr. Cinders, which was a show that you appeared in in the, in the early 80s. And also you appeared in La Casual Fall, uh, was it about 10 years ago? Yes. I'm just wondering about, um, you know, the, the performance on stage in a, in musical theatre. What what did you get from that? You know, singing with an, an orchestra and and that yeah, being being part of a cast for such a long time as well. Yeah, musical theatre is something. It's kind of the reason, in many ways, I became an actor in the first place because I wanted to be a performer. That's what excited me. And going back to the cinema in Creef when I was a kid. You know, Singing in the Rain, uh, Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, Fred Astaire. Those are people that made me want to perform. And then I found this, heard about this thing called a drama school when I was 14. I had no idea. I had no idea. Anyway, I, I went and trained as an actor. So um, it's very much in my roots of the reasons I want to perform or, or, or I act. And so um, it's a brilliant, wonderful thing to do. 
Uh, it's also, they're technically very, very difficult, quite difficult things to pull off. But when you get it right and you get the feedback from the audience, it's such a high, such a buzz. Yeah. It's also the most exhausting thing you can do, I think. I mean, I did Pal Joy for a year in the West End and I sang and danced. I was on most of the night and I don't really quite know how I got through it because it's crucified and exhausting because yeah. you're doing eight shows a week. So it's a tough way to live. But um, I got a massive amount out of it. Pal Joy, for instance, broke my career open and established me as a, as a leading actor, commercial leading actor, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And Mr. Cinders was, again, reached back for me into my childhood influences very much. It was, it was that kind of performance. Yeah. It was built for a comedian, you know. And did Local Hero come after Mr. Cinders around about the same? Well, no. Uh, uh, Local Hero came out of Pal Joy. Right. The woman who cast Local Hero knew my work very well in the theatre and, and liked what I did in, with Pal Joy very much and put me in front of Bill Forsyth. And then I made Local Hero. And then the nice thing was I did Mr. Cinders as Local Hero was being released. Oh, nice. And Mr. Cinders was hugely successful. I got an Olivier Award out of it and stuff. And, um, and then to have that movie out at the same time, so it was a great double for me. You know, it was yeah, great. Absolutely. Did you, did you hear that, Chris? Did you hear that little Olivier Award there? <laughs> did you get <laughs> Yeah, yeah we've, no, we've got that. No, sadly, we haven't got one. <laughs> <laughs> Olivier Award. <laughs> so, so, Dennis, would you say then that musical theatre your was your first love then? Is that right? It, it was your... I've always liked to do... I know uh, as many different things as I, a lot, I like a lot of variety in my work, you know, yeah. so yeah. I, I, um, I've always been like that. And um, so I suppose it, as I, maybe it is, maybe it is. It's what propelled me to want to perform. Thank you so much, Dennis. It's been, been great. You are an absolute star. And <laughs> you know what? I, I'm tempted to get me and Chris tickets to come see the Killers in Bristol. Oh, boy. We can wave at you from afar. We can wave at you from afar. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're going to go and see them and that you'll see Sam Fender and Super, Supergrass. Yeah. Oh, woo. Fantastic. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. See, so it's us again. So we had Dennis and, and even more Dennis. What a great interview. Double Dennis. Big double Dennis. I love. And genuinely, he contacted us because he, he'd forgotten uh, a couple of those things. And he was really excited to mention it. And, and I'll be honest, I'm glad he did because I love that it's only, the pennies only really dropped for me that, that the whole teenager thing was, was a rock and roll you know, it was a rock and roll idea, it was a rock and roll phenomenon. And it must have been genuinely crazy to be part of that. I would love to have been there and, and gone from, you know, pre, pre-50s to rock and roll. So you would have liked to have been there in the Second World War? Um, yes. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> See, we've, we've kind of benefited from not many wars since yeah but i used to love hearing from my dad though you know talking about the big bopper and and bill haley and those things and his experiences and and actually going 
going to see them in small, really small venues in Cardiff. You know, we saw Jerry Lee and, and, and all that lot. And, 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 and my dad waxing lyrical about the great change, but the teenager thing sort of never, never crossed my mind. I must look at more pictures of Bill Haley because in my head, when you, when you visualize Bill Haley, he's got this mm. kind of little kind of curl and, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he, he didn't seem as young as an Eddie Cochran or an Elvis or, um, no, he wasn't. Uh, he he looked he looked okay. like um, somebody's dad, really. Yeah. Um, but then that voice, he had that raspy voice. Mm. And... Yeah, he, he looks just like just like you, through lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, you're thinking of uh, later an, an ugly Jim Morrison. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I'm resembling now, um, but hopefully, yeah. Ugly Jim Morrison. Yeah. Um, See, I'd take that, to be honest. I'll take anyway, that. It was, it was a great interview. I loved the main interview, and I loved the little, our little PS at the end, our little addendum. And Dennis is, what a wonderful man, wonderful man. And if, like me, you've not really had your uh, head into much jazz, then what a great excuse. Do it now. Check out some artists. His Spotify playlist is an absolute joy to behold. It's lovely. And we'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the interviews as well, especially if you are, uh, it, it, well, any of you, but especially if you're not a jazz fan and now you're going to be turned on to a particular artist, that would be great to hear from you. And you can contact us in the usual places. You get us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Gig Stories Pod, uh, and uh, the website. And our email, Chris, which is? Info at gigstoriespodcast.com absolutely and we have another fantastic episode for you next week enjoy the rest of your easter holidays enjoy some chocolates and hey if you've not listened to previous episodes go and listen now you've got the time now go on get them get go them on. done because the, the 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 one that you've just listened to won't make as much sense unless you've heard all the previous episodes go what why are you still listening to us come on press stop listen to the others now, no, you hang up. You hang up. Love you. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>